Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Good morning. Uh, You know what one of the most asked questions in the world is? It's not statistics, it's what I think, okay? (laughs) Is that why do bad things happen to good people? And I'm sure that you may have asked this question, or maybe some people ask you this question, especially when they try to speak bad against God. It's like, why do bad things happen to good people? But not many people ask you, why do (laughs) bad things happen to bad people? You know, because it somehow infers that bad things happen to bad people, it's okay. We just, you know, we can accept that. <laughs> I want to suggest that both of these questions are not necessarily good. And unless your friends ask you, and unless my friends ask me this question, I wouldn't really want to address such a question as well. Because they shouldn't be part of my conversations either. Because the thing is that when we ask this type of questions, we're actually not necessarily understanding that we have our identity secured in Christ Jesus. So the bad things that happen in your life it's, are not because you're a bad person. Right? And the good things that happen in your life are not necessarily a consequence of our own goodness. What happens in our life has a purpose. What happens in our lives points towards something. And today I want to look at Paul and Silas from Acts 16 and understand that the things that they go through have a purpose behind all these things. So you see, there is a reason behind everything that happens. And instead of asking myself, why does this happen? I will ask myself, what for? What, why, what does this happen for? What is the reason behind all this? And I want to ask myself this question. How can this tough situation or bad moments glorify God? Uh, how can it become an opportunity to fulfill the mission that God has for my life as well? And Paul and, and uh, Silas, we know from last week they were in Philippi. They kickstarted something amazing with Lydia. They were still at her house now, and they were still going to the prayer meeting as they used, because that's where they met her. So that's where they, they were going to really strengthen the emerging church in Philippi as well. And in the normality of their life, things started to happen. In the normality of them going to the prayer meeting, things happened. And I want to look at three things that happened to them, then in three ways in which they could have uh, handled those situations, and then finally, how they actually handled how did they actually respond to all these situations and what the outcome of that was as well. And the first of all, we need to understand that the enemy will always try to discredit us. And that's what happened to Paul and Silas. We read in Acts 16, as she followed Paul and she cried out, sorry, once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had the spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul, And as she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. So Paul and Silas go to the prayer meeting. They've done this. They've been doing it for a few days. And at some point during these days, there was this demon. So not a girl, but this demon that was controlling this, this slave girl, and was always like bothering them, if you want. But in one of those days, Paul couldn't just take it anymore, and he turns towards the Spirit and starts to do something 
about. Now, we need to understand something about this girl. She wasn't only a slave to people. We know she had masters, she was a slave, but she was also a slave to spiritual forces. So she was owned by men, and she was owned by demons as well, which means that her will, her desires, her actions, and everything that she was didn't belong to herself. She was no longer owning herself, if you want. She was owned by human, by men, and by demons by demons as well. And that's a very tough situation. The issue was that in that neighborhood, and if you were, let's say, to buy a house in Philippi during those times, she would be the girl that everyone knows about. She would be the, one, the girl that everyone hears, but she's also the girl that everyone neglects. Because Paul and Silas, they go to the prayer meeting, and people see her every day in that place, and no one does anything about it. And the thing is that she was also making a large profit for her masters by fortune-telling. And in her community, this situation was normal. This was normal life. Of course you have a slave. Of course you have a demon-possessed girl that is controlled. Of course you do these things. That is scary, because that community accepted her situation as normal. They didn't do anything about this either. And in all of this, the demon and the, the demons and the spiritual forces were controlling all that from behind. The masters were gaining money. The people had their glimpse into the future. And the demons were controlling everything in there. Now that was a system that they were having in place. But then Paul and Silas step onto the stage. Men of God come in that place as well. And the demons say that they are servants of the Most High God. And that their mission was to proclaim the way to salvation. And what the demon says is true. (laughs) They were the servants of the Most High God. And they were proclaimed the way to salvation. But at this point... The Bible says that Paul was greatly annoyed. And he wasn't annoyed with a girl. And if you want to look in the, a bit in the Greek word, it goes deeper than being annoyed. He was also grieved. And out of that grievance, he's, he faced that demon, heads on if you want, and in the name of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, he freed that girl from demonic slavery. And that's what he did in that, that place as well. The mission of the demon was to discredit the message and the mission that Paul and Silas were carrying as well. Now, Paul and Silas could have just kept quiet. <laughs> they could have just blended in with the community. I mean, they just kick-started what was to become the first church in Europe with Lydia. That's, I mean, that's a big thing in itself. Of course, it's a huge, huge thing. Why couldn't they just mind their own business? Why did they have to interfere in the way the kingdom of darkness was running stuff in that place as well. They could have gone from meeting to meeting, preaching, listening to preachers, and do all that. But no, they had to somehow interfere in what was happening in that place. They could have continued to worship God in the prayer place by the river with the ladies and the people that were coming. They could have continued to do what they were there to do. And I want to suggest that this girl is representing our world today. A world that is enslaved by demonic forces. She's also presenting your friends that don't know God. Presenting people maybe in your family, people at work, people that you know. And they are enslaved by demonic forces. They, they are blind and they don't know what they're doing. They are controlled by something else. And we live in a world that has become enslaved to spiritual principalities and rulers. I know it sounds sci-fi. So I, like, I understand. But this is true. The invisible world and the spiritual is trying to control everything. Around. And we need to be aware of these things as well. And this girl reminds me of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right? Jesus speaks, teaches this, this parable in response to the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus speaks of the four characters. The victim who was beaten and was lying on the road in blood. 
the priest, and we can call him church leader today, we can call him clergyman, pastor, whatever you want. Then there was the Levite, who was the equivalent of our worship leader, band and all that. And then there was the Good Samaritan, which represents Christ-like behavior. Now, I don't mean that <laughs> we are all these people, but if we bring this in our culture today, this is what they will represent. And in this parable, Jesus says that the Levite and the priest were coming down from the temple. So they were, they were coming from church, if you want. The priest did his thing, the Levite did his thing, and on their way back home after they finished the job, they see this needy person and they just neglect him. They did actually mind their own business. <laughs> they did. They couldn't be bothered. And then we have the Good Samaritan, which shows that like, how we should be as, uh, with, with our Christ-like behavior, what we should do in those situations. And Paul and Silas could have adopted the same attitude that this, the priest and the, and the Levite had. He could have just minded their, his own business, but they didn't. He understood, and Paul understood that this girl is not the problem here. And Paul turns towards the demon and speaks directly to the demon. He understands that the girl was the victim. She was the one suffering in all this situation. He understood that his fight is not against flesh. His battle is not against the girl. His battle is not against people, but, but against spiritual forces. And his mission was to strengthen the emerging church, yes. But he couldn't just pretend that there wasn't a slave girl enslaved by demonic force. He couldn't just close his eyes. He couldn't just let it go. He didn't only not let the demon discredit their ministry, but he confronted that demon heads on. And he freed that girl from demonic slavery as well. And out of that grievance that Paul had, he took a stand and freed her. And I want even to suggest that God won't use us to break people free from spiritual slavery until he breaks our heart for his cause and his mission. And when I speak of God breaking our hearts, I don't mean hurting us, but helping us to understand what we're here for, helping us understand what our purpose in this world is, what is our mission. And until God breaks my heart, I will not be able to understand why it is so important that that one person in my family, at work, wherever I am, is, is maybe under slavery, spiritual slavery, and someone needs to speak to them, and someone needs to bring the light in that person's life. He, and Paul couldn't just let this run away. A broken heart for Jesus breaks hearts free in the name of of Jesus. So we need to meet Jesus. We need to let him break our hearts. I, I like how um, Steve Upper said yesterday, one of his prayers is like, uh, God, help me see what you see and feel what you feel. What if you ask God these two questions regarding your friends, your family, those that don't know him? Help me see what you see and help me feel what you feel. And Paul and Silas were seeing something different than the rest of the community. They were feeling something different. They were grieved by what happened. So we need to understand that our mission is first of all redemptive. Christ the Redeemer is enlisting us in his army. And we are mandated with a mission to bring the light in the kingdom of darkness. That's when the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness clash. And that's when things start to happen. Secondly, the enemy will also try to discourage you. And we read, when her owners, so the girls, realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in attacking, attacking them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. 
receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet into the stocks. So what happened next is that because they did the good thing, <laughs> because they couldn't keep their mouth shut, they couldn't just let that one slide, they suffered. Because when we bring the light into the kingdom of darkness, there is a reaction. Because the kingdom of darkness doesn't want us to mess up with their system, with the way they do, th- they do things. But we as people of God, when we step in, we step into the authority of Jesus Christ and we carry the light of Jesus Christ. We are the light. So something happens when we step into the kingdom of darkness. First of all, Paul and Silas were brought in front of everyone accused of disturbing the city. And it doesn't speak of vandalism, okay? <laughs> there was some, something, that they were, something about them that was disturbing. And what was disturbing the city was the truth. What, dis- what disturbed the city was the message of the gospel that they were carrying. What disturbed the city was that they were on a mission. And they would never give up. They were there on a mission. And the reward that Paul and Silas got for preaching the way to salvation was that the crowd joined in attacking them. The chief magistrates stripped off their clothes. They ordered them to be beaten with rods. They were severely flogged and threw them in jail. And you know what? They could have avoided all that by not caring about that girl, by not caring about that one girl. If they would have kept their mouth shut, this wouldn't have happened. But they couldn't just let it go. They had to make a stand. And there is a very interesting fact here. Paul and Silas were not really attacked while they were going to the meetings. And I want you to hear my heart very well when I say these things, okay? The enemy is not bothered by us coming to meetings. That's not... It's like, go! Like, he'll buy us and pay for our gas and petrol to go. But what he'll be bothered is that when in these meetings we are transformed by the power of God and we go out and disturb the city. That's when things happen. And the point is that the only place where you actually are empowered by the Holy Spirit is in the church, is in the prayer meetings, is that earthquake. He's empowering us. But then we'll not be bothered by that if we don't go out and carry this light and we step into the kingdom of darkness. So the answer is this. Come. Let's be strong. Let's encourage each other. And then when we go out in our families, our workplace, wherever we are, remember your mission field, we step into the kingdom of darkness and things start to happen in that place. And I want to be encouraged by this. And I discovered in the last few months, the more I decide to devote my life to Jesus Christ and make him central to everything that I am, the more discouraged I get. And this is, this is true. It's happening the last couple of months for me. I, dis- I made an intentional decision to make Jesus central to everything that I am. This means that every piece of my heart, every desire that I have, everything I am, must be focused and facing towards Jesus Christ as the center of everything that I am. That's not, I know it sounds like, of course you do that, because you're, you're in ministry. But it's not always easy, but it is possible. And once you decide to live for Christ, things do happen around. But we are also encouraged to know that God is with us, because I am in His will. I am putting him at the center of everything that I am. And God will take care of me and he will take care of everything that we need always. Once I'm serious about living my life for Christ, that's when things start to happen. I'm not sure that you have noticed this. You make a decision and I'm going to do this for you. And somehow, all of a sudden, there's an enemy. Like, where were you? <laughs> you know? When we do want to do God's will, someone and something will not want to just let things go through because they have a system as well. When, when I do actually start obeying my Lord and actually do what he tells me to do, that's when things start to happen. I mean, look at the way the, the church started. Most of, if not all, of the disciples and the people that were in the beginning of the church, they all, all persecuted and suffered. 
I mean, even the word witness, that comes from the Greek word martyras, which is martyr. So in other words, when someone is saying, go and witness about Christ, go and witness to the people about the good news, there is this expectation on people that they may actually die. And they are still going for it. I'm not saying that all of us will die. I'm not saying you need to be flogged and you're not a Christian, so don't get me wrong here. But what if we get to the point where, like Paul, we say, if I live, for me to live is Christ, and if I die is gain. Because then I will gain that which I live for. You may not die because you preach the gospel, but what if you die and the legacy that you leave behind is that it has Jesus centered to your life and the people in your world have been freed because of you brought the light into their life. So this is the, the kind of attitude that we need to have as well. We need to disturb some patterns. We need to disturb some of the ways the kingdom of darkness does things. Don't be afraid of tough seasons. Don't buy into this belief that following Christ is a stress-free life and nothing bad will ever happen. But those stress, the stress and the tough situations will actually have actually behind them a reason. And we saw that Paul and Silas' life, that they actually did something extraordinary that they wouldn't have done if they would have kept their mouth shut, let's say. Okay, this is really, really important. So the jealous attitude says a lot about what Paul and Silas were about to go through. It says, receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison, secured their feet in the stocks. And the inner prison looks something like this. And this is actually from Philippi. Uh, <clears throat> so the inner prison is not the normal, if I can say normal prison. The inner prison was the lowest of the lowest. And that's where people that were basically sentenced to death was going, were going. And the jailer is instructed to take very, very care of them, like not in a good way, like make sure they're not escaping. And they're placed and dumped in this inner prison uh, as well. And the inner prison was the worst of the worst, and only the worst people would go there. Now you can imagine, things couldn't really go worse than this. They were basically waiting for their sentence. They were in line to be executed. And you know what else Paul and Silas could have done to avoid beatings and humiliation and this? They could have said, which is true, that they are Roman citizens. Because they were Roman citizens. They were brought in as Jews, accused as Jews, but they could have said, wait a second, we are Roman citizens. Because in that world, to be a Roman citizen was the highest privilege you could ever have. And they could have made use of this right and privilege that they had. But they didn't. They didn't. Somehow, I think they had this, I don't know, insight that there's something more, something behind all these beatings and prison and everything. There is something. There is a purpose. There is a reason. Maybe... They were quoting to each other, though he didn't write Romans, but that all things do work together for those that are called by God and those that love God. I'm sure that in those moments, what if Paul and Silas were thinking, why didn't we keep our mouth shut there with that girl? <laughs> why didn't we say we're Roman citizens? But they didn't. They somehow knew that there is a plan, there is a reason behind everything that is happening in their life. Does that sound like someone we know? Like, let's say, Jesus. <laughs> When he was tempted by Satan himself in the desert, Satan says, you, you can bring angels to save you. And Jesus didn't want to make use of them because he wants to identify himself with humankind. He had to live as a human. Humans don't necessarily have thousands of angels always backing them up and that you use as, an, as a weapon. So the angels do protect us, okay? But Jesus could have done this. But he really had a mission, and his mission was to save the world. And in order to save the world, he, needed, he had to understand the world. In order to save the humankind, he had to be like a human. As well. And that's why he didn't make use of this <clears throat> either. Somehow, Jesus knew that all the pain 
the crucifixion, the torture, was all worth it for the mission that he was about to accomplish, namely to save the world. And because he was so, so grabbed by the vision that he had, he didn't care in a way what he goes through because he knew that there is a purpose behind everything. Paul and Silas endured the beatings, the flogging, the humiliation, and the, the attacks, and they somehow understood that there is a purpose behind everything else. Paul and Silas, Jesus, the disciples, were measuring everything according to how much it can benefit the mission they had. <coughs> Sorry. Measure everything according to how much it can benefit the mission we have. That's, that's how we measure stuff. Decisions and everything we do. What is your mission? I can tell that the Great Commission, which again is not a great suggestion, is to bring this light, preach this light, declare this light into the lives of people that are in the kingdom of darkness and then disciple them. We need to do this. And it's in a way non-negotiable for us as Christians. And if we measure everything with that, then we'll say like, whatever I go through, if it does benefit the mission I have, I'm fine with it. I'll just go through it. Which means that I'm willing to sacrifice money or finances, time, and everything else if it benefits that mission. That's how we measure things. That's how Jesus did it and the disciples did it as well. So what is your mission? What do you live for? And who do you live for? What do we need to do? Finally, the enemy will try to destroy you. And we read this very well-known passage, but it's amazing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw that the doors of the prison were standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, and your entire household as well. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, because they've been flogged, remember? Right away, all and he and all his family... He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced. Why? Because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Uh, that's powerful. <laughs> that's amazing. That's really, really, really great. So they're in this inner prison, basically waiting to be sentenced. It was the worst of them. Maybe they were thinking that they would go through what Jesus went. They were, he was tortured before he was crucified. It's like, okay. And we're going to die as our master died or something. Maybe they had this type of attitude. And then they find themselves with the other inmates in the inner prison at midnight. And very important, inner prison and midnight. Midnight means that it's the end of, <laughs> that's it. And the inner prison was the lowest of lows. So they were in the lowest moment with a death sentence on their back, a target on their back. They were in this situation. And what are they doing? They sing and they pray. Like, oh, all of a sudden, they are no longer disturbing the city because even though they did a worship session in the middle of the night, no one was disturbed by this because it says that all the other inmates, they were hearing and listening to what they were saying, the way they were praying and what, what they were singing. Their master, Jesus Christ, was, the, was central to their life. Somehow understood that it's all about him as well. And reading in some commentaries, 
Uh, it is suggested that in hard moments, uh, people would sing Psalm 1962. At midnight will I rise to give thanks to thee. As the Bible does say that they were singing this. But it is possible that in the middle of everything, they would rise up and give thanks to God, even if it was a midnight season for them. And in the midst of their worship and prayers, a great violent earthquake shakes that inner prison and shakes its foundations as well. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. And observe their insight in these moments. And this is very new for me. Observe their insight. They understood something more. They could have interpreted the loose chains and the open doors as a sign or a message from God that they should just <laughs> leg it, no? Just run. <laughs> I've opened doors. Go. They could have done this and then go to Lydia's house where they were uh, residing at that moment. Said, you know what God did? We we're praying and worshiping and the chains fell off and the doors were open. And that would have been an amazing testimony. Absolutely glorifying God anyway. It would encourage the saints in that house, for sure. But they didn't leg <laughs> it. They didn't run. And he, he, Paul, uh, when the jailer comes, he thinks that everyone is gone. And Paul, and he wants to kill himself with the sword, sword. And Paul says, stop it. We are all here. Don't, don't harm yourself. So basically, Paul stopped this man from killing himself, which is like saving a life, you know? And even then, they could have said, go back to Lydia. Said, you know what happened? God, there was this earthquake, and God break all the chains, all the chains came loose and opened doors. And we saved this man. He didn't die because we told him, we're here. And that would have been amazing as well. I want to help someone to not commit suicide. That's a big thing, obviously, no? But they didn't stop there either. There's even more to this. And we know that the jailer comes to their feet, falls down, and says, what must I do to be saved? All of a sudden, the jailer who heard about them as the servants of the Most High God, remember the demon girl, the demon-possessed girl, sorry. Remember that they were known as the ones who proclaimed the way to salvation. All of a sudden, he was experiencing the same power that they had. They saw that there's something different because in the middle of the midnight season that they had, they were singing and praying to this God. That they, and because they couldn't keep their mouth shut, because they didn't use their rights, they didn't escape when the doors were open. They didn't go after they finished the job of saving him from committing suicide. Somehow, this changed and transformed the life of the jailer like never before. He takes them into his house, washes them, feeds them. And the Bible says that all his household was baptized and they were believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a testimony. Somehow they, everything started to make sense for them. That their mission was for that one, and that one was the jailer. None of that would have happened if they would have kept their mouth shut, if they, wouldn't, if they would have used their rights, if they would have escaped when the doors were open, and if they would have left after he, they saved his physical life. They knew there's more to this. And they brought eternal salvation into the life and the house of that man because they were faithful to continue in doing what God called them to do as well. They understood that the earthquake was actually a sign from God that someone needs salvation. And the miracles that happen in our lives, the chains that fell, that fall, and the doors that are open will, of course, free us from whatever bondage that we may have but it also points towards someone. It also must help us to understand that our mission is to save souls for eternity. And Paul and Silas knew that this was their mission. 
this man encountered the same Jesus that, people, that Paul and Silas went to prison for. And that totally, totally changed his life as well. If we need to be set free from spiritual and emotional chains, God can do that. Because God is the most, most powerful as well. We start by understanding that we live for a greater purpose. We need to understand that we live for a greater purpose, and that purpose has at its core the eternal salvation of those around us. We understand that our battle is not against people, but against spiritual forces. Our battle is not against people, but against spiritual forces. We understand that we have already been given the authority and the power to step into the kingdom of darkness, and we are covered and protected by the Holy Spirit as well. We don't need to be, we need to push beyond what we're used to. And they pushed, and they pushed three or four times until they reached their goal to save that man's life as well. We understand that the fact that our pain and tough seasons have a purpose. And whatever that purpose is, it has to somehow help people encounter Jesus and save them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. We understand that for the joy set before us, we would be willing to sacrifice anything to accomplish that mission. That's how Paul and Silas lived, and every disciple of Christ. We also understand that as long as we are in his will, Jesus will break every chain that holds us captive. And this is a promise. If I'm in his will, Jesus will break every chain and open any door. We understand that because we are pursuing Christ and his mission, there is no door that can keep the power of the Holy Spirit away. And that the door that God will open will stay open. It's God, and he's on your side. We understand that we have been mandated by our Redeemer and that our mission is redemptive, and it needs to save the souls of the people in our family, in our workplace, and in this world as well. Our mission is redemptive. If you need to be set free from anything that is holding you back, I'm the one to say that God can do this for you because he's a God that is alive, and he lives in our lives today. If you need to be comforted, pray and worship, and God will intervene in that situation as well, no matter where you are. No matter where you are. And maybe some of you find themselves in that inner prison or in that midnight season as well. There is pain, there is suffering, there is darkness. You may have come to the end of your powers, you may have come to the end of yourself. And you're like, all, I, all that can save me is a miracle. And I want to say that that miracle is in, is in this place. That miracle lives within our hearts. And his name is Jesus Christ. In his name, everything, anything can happen. He can set you free from anything, intervene in every situation. He has the, he has the power to silence rulers of darkness. Jesus Christ. He's the one that has destroyed death. The one before whom, before whom everyone and everything will bow down. Because he's the king of kings. The one at whose name demons tremble in fear and run away. The one who answers our prayers in the darkest moments of our lives. The one who responds to our worship and all heaven breaks loose in the darkest moment of your life, in your midnight season and in the inner prison of your life. All heaven will break loose and every chain will be broken. Every door will be open because this is the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I conclude, I want you to be encouraged. If you are going through a hard moment, ask yourself, what is this for? That can promise you that while you worship and pray, heaven breaks loose in your situation. The power of the Holy Spirit will free you of anything. He will break you free 
from any emotional or spiritual in slavery if you want. This is the power of God. And once he does this, you'll find the one. You'll find the jailer. Not only helping him physically, but bringing to him the light that will save his soul for eternity. That's why earthquake will be important even next Sunday. That's why small groups and church and everything. Together, we gather and where there's two or three, Jesus is here. And when I worship, things happen. When I pray, that's why prayer is where the power is. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in that place. After I pray and worship, I will impact the lives of those around me. And God will bring eternal salvation into their life. Amen. We're going to sing a song in a moment so the band will join me. But um, as we do, let's think about a couple of things. Maybe you've encountered truth. You've heard about Jesus. You've even been coming to church. You've got a friend who's been telling you stuff for a long time. But you yourself have never made a decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ to make him your Lord. You can do that today. And often it happens in this church. Last Sunday in the second service and third service, people made that decision. But also I want to remind us from what Vlad said that God is going to let nothing separate his message from the people who need to hear it. God will allow... All sorts of things to look like they're going wrong just to get the message of the gospel to the right person. And you may be here and you've heard the message. God wants you to make that choice. But for, for us as well who come here regularly, remember, don't just give up because it's a bit difficult or there's a few challenges. There is a one in your life. There is somebody in your life and your call is to reach that somebody. You are all called. I am called Who is the one that God has prepared us to encounter? He gave his life so that we can find that one. And that one might lead to a household. We've got to ask ourselves the hard questions. Are we trying to avoid challenging situations? Or are we willing to confront the need to keep pressing through so that the one that God has prepared for us to meet can be encountered? What must I do to be saved? Believe in Jesus. Let's stand.